Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is an experienced and accomplished entrepreneur and over the past 30 years has been at the helm of no fewer than seven businesses, some of which have exceeded a million pounds in turnover. Through their development journey, they've spent over £300,000 on their own personal development and have worked under people such as Richard Bandler, the founder of NLP, Tony Robbins, Dr. Joe Dispenza and Professor Lipton. He is a business strategist, consultant and coach to multi-figured uh, businesses. Welcome to the show, Stevie Kidd. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Although that was a fairly long introduction, it doesn't really go halfway to kind of talking about the things that you do. Um, so for the sake of the listeners, could you um, just tell them a bit more about yourself and what you do and how you help? You know, it's a difficult question for anybody to answer who they are and um, what they do. Um, I was asked this question the other day when I was training with, with training for Kelvin Jarrow and as a person that's been coaching me since probably 2007. Mm. Um, I met that person by just hearing somebody away down at the front of a bus and hearing his voice. But when he asked me, and it's not the first time he's asked me, he asked me the same question, what do you do? And I basically just said to him, I changed lives. And I, he said, but Go deeper, Stevie. What is it you do? And I says, well, my life has brought me to this point. That's the business itself is designed in a two-year frame of taking an individual to get them to assess and understand where they came from to where they are. Mm-hmm. That two-year journey, they'll absolutely discover how far they can go and once they complete that framework. And then when they get to that two-year point, they'll actually realise that they haven't been living to their potential. But let's be clear, I said to them, it's not about me. It's just simply about the information that I facilitate from myself to any other individual. Mm-hmm. But it's bespoke to that individual because we all have the same neurology. It's just how we use it. And when I've been assessing people since the age of probably eight, it's just paying attention to how people have been using the neurology. Okay. And I just understand the program they want. And when you ask the person who they are and what they want, I can then assess whether that program that they have built in is going to get them to that destination. Right, okay. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that then. So how do you assess? So firstly, you say it's a two-year journey, so you work with clients for over a two-year period yeah and over that time you assess whether the person that they are gives them the capacity to be able to be the person they want to be and the success they want to achieve 100 percent. and you know timing's timing's perfect because this morning and last night we had two clients who are actually on their first session right and the client last night two years it took him to take action he was working with other coaches 
Mm-hmm. Like paying attention to who I was and what I was about. Right. And even from him reaching out, his his interpretation, not mine. He's a businessman, successful businessman, but not where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And assessing who was supporting him at the time was realizing that his journey wasn't accelerating at the pace that he wanted to go. Now, the concept is once he went through the consultation stage, because the most important part of supporting any human being, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur and a coach, but I'm also coached. And with the people that support me, mm-hmm. I have to build rapport with the people who are supporting me, or you'll never get off the blocks. Mm-hmm. That's the same principle within the pathway. It's respecting everybody, but respecting the person who's made the approach. And we, we paid a lot, a lot of attention at that time listening and really listening to what the trigger was. What's that moment that caused them to reach out, but then paying real attention to where are you and where is it you want to go? And at that stage, we do a simple life assessment. And it's a, it's a life assessment that's across all the areas of their life. Mm-hmm. And all we ask them is to give a description and score where they are. Yeah. But then what we ask them is where is where is it they're trying to where is it they're trying to achieve and where is it they're trying to get to? And at the same time we do behavioural profiling, so we run the two seamlessly, and then they have conversations with two or three people within the business before they even get to me, and that's to nurture it and feed it, and to really understand if the pathway will fit them. And also, vice versa, it's not just a one way, it's a two way. So it's like, it's like a kinesthetic arm round. Because I understand the sensitivity of trying to discover who you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. not everybody can put themselves into There's a three way approach to it. And I tell my team this we have where people stay in their own reality. Yeah. The second stage is where people live in what they know, but what they don't know. Mm-hmm. But then there's the third animal, what you don't know and what you don't know. And when they come into my arena, they're then entering, they don't know, they don't know. So it's like them unknown unknowns. So tell me a little bit about that journey. Tell me about those three stages that you just mentioned there about the reality, the uh, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, or the way that you put it. Well, I'm a coach who's always lives in the way, and I'm, I mean, going back three, four decades, mm-hmm. I'm constantly living in an uncomfortable place. My my demotivation comes from being comfortable, right, and okay. I can't live in that place. And the concept of the person who came in last night, he's been, he's done the life assessment, he's done the disc profile, it's a fit for both parties. But we're still not ready and off the blocks because we have to complete the first session. Yep. So within that first session last night, you pay attention to the person who walks into the innovation centre. And as he walks into the innovation centre, I'm there to greet him. Now it's quarter to seven last night and there's nobody in the building and it's just me and him. Mm-hmm. And as we go up, I take him and I say, I can feel your apprehension. And he sits down and he smiles and I say, do you notice the words on the door? And he says, it's called a creative room. And I says, well, linguistics is a very powerful term in terms of how you use information because in any other company, it would be called a boardroom. And he looks at me. He says, I have a boardroom. 
Mm-hmm. I says, tell me you don't take your team in there. He says, I do. I says, but Ward has got two abbreviations. B-O-R-E-D, B-O-A-R-D. And he looks at me and he goes, that's very interesting. I said, so what state are they in when you take them in the room against what state will my team be in when I bring them into a creative room? It's just about stimulation and what the subconscious believes in a word. And he looked at me and I said, there's been a bit of a delay. I says, I've left you for three weeks, but there's been a bit of procrastination going on because you haven't engaged, you haven't responded to some of my team's emails, there's been a delay, you never responded to me, I says, and I'm interested to ask, that's where I want to start. And right away in that moment, he said, I've had a bad experience. I said, really? I said, so the the bad experience, is that with another coach? I was with another coach for two years. I says, did they pay attention to how I paid attention to not to the relationship along? And he says, no. I say, so would I be right in saying that that experience is now giving you a predictable future of what you think is going to happen in this experience? Yeah. He says, 100%. And is it going as what you actually thought it was going to go like before you walked into the building? Absolutely not. So we're getting closer to getting to a place where we can start working together. Mm -hmm. He says, what do you need to know? I says, I would love to know where you want to get to across every area of your life, and I would love to know what success is for you and your business. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the popcorn, and I'm going to say nothing, and I'm going to listen to you for the next 90 minutes. And off he went like a train. Right. And the point I'm making to you is, once we finished and we had small actions and small milestones, we hugged and we agreed that we're going to be in a fruitful journey for the next 12 months. And he asked me before he left as he's springing down the stairs, Stevie, yep, you never stayed there and why do I feel like this? I said, but where did you live? He says, well, you brought me to the present. I said, where did you go after the present? Into the future and what did you do? I told you what I seen, heard and felt in all the areas of my life. But I actually painted pictures more than I could even imagine. So how often were you in the past? I never went to the past. Where did you go and where are you now leaving the building? I'm leaving the building knowing what's going to happen in the future. So why do you think you're motivated then? He says, what is it you do? That's not important. Just trust the process. Mm -hmm. You've helped him or just by allowing him that space to talk and explore, you've enabled him to create where he is right now in his head but actually to be motivated to the space he wants to get to and he's gone away with all that energy knowing that he's now created something in his own head which he's going to be aiming towards and what motivates him even more is because i closed it off before he left in the first session because i had to make sure that he knew what the first one two and three actions were going to be right even though he's got all these movies in his head and voices in his head of what he's going to create in his future. Because mm-hmm. what I said to him was, you need to pay attention because the next time you come in, you're going to be sitting in that same chair, I'm afraid. And he says, what's the point of that? I says, because the three actions that we're going to do within the next 10 days, you're going to have achieved them. Right. But you're going to go back to the same chair and that chair's going to be your anchor because you're going to realise how much has been done just in 10 days. And then I want you to timeline and go in the future and imagine if you go at this pace, because pace and coaching and any relationship you build, pace is the most important part 
It's not about my journey. It's about the client's journey. Mm-hmm. And I have to go at that pace that the client wants to go at. Yeah. And that's the pace that he wants to go at. One, two, three, more, no more than three actions. As long as we achieve the three actions within these sessions, and as long as he does the work in between the sessions, we'll achieve more than what we're actually setting out to achieve, but he's the one that'll do the work. Yeah. I think that's, that's what you just said there. The amazing thing is that actually within coaching, I mean, it's like, I think it's great that you have this two-year time frame at least for your for your clients because no matter how fast or how slow they need to work and want to work, you yeah. can see them through the entire process in that space of time and work at their own pace in order to get the results that they're looking for. And one of the things that I did pay attention to last night when they left the building, he said to me, he paused as he got to the door and he looked back at me and he said, this is going to be really exciting. And I said, I'm glad you think so. And he said, no, I know so. And I said, well, tell me why then. And this is what he said to me. You're coached by multiple coaches. So that means that you're not going to be in the place that you are today in 12 months' time. <laughs> Do you know when he went? <coughs> when, when he left, I took a seat. And I thought, I've been coached all my life. Yeah. But it's a, it was a beautiful moment for me to sit there and say, wow, somebody's paying attention to actually, it's more powerful to be. I always have challenged everybody to say, if you're going to be a coach, then be coached. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why in the abbreviation it says £300,000 plus has been spent on one personal development. We're mm-hmm. on a two-year journey with Tony Robbins just now. In fact, tonight we're on Business Mastery 2 over the whole weekend. Okay. Because we're obsessed with growing mm-hmm. to grow into our potential yeah. of who we can become. Yeah, I think that's essential for if you if you ever for the listeners as well. If you ever sign up with a coach who doesn't have their own coach or doesn't invest in their own personal development, then that I would say is is quite a, a red flag to to whether yeah. you want to work with that coach or not. Because then, you know, I, I I spent last year I spent about fifteen thousand pounds on coaching for myself, and again, it's so valuable but actually I'm living the experience that I want my clients to experience as well is to make sure that I'm fully on top of everything that I'm doing as much as I want them to be on top of the things that they're doing at the same time. So that's an amazing journey that you take people through. And I think that has, again, it shows the importance of creating a vision, an idea of what you actually want to achieve. And I think that fact that the conversation you're having there is aligning with this person and what their authenticity is and their purpose and their goals and creating an idea that's actually going to suit them moving forward and infuse them and motivate them to to create the success that they're looking for. I think what your biggest why and your purpose, and one of the things I always do this, but I did it last night again, is I like to understand the relationships they have with themselves, the relationships they have with their wife, the relationships they have with each individual, um, their children. Mm. And, when we then I go down a different path by using the word provider or role model, are you a provider or are you the role model? Who, what's your identity within the family piece, which always causes a delay, always has done for 25 years. It makes people stop and reflect. But then what I do is sometimes I go out 
and I'll put my hands on their shoulders and I'll say to them, close your eyes, I want you to visualise something because that's what that we do together is vitally important because you need to have a purpose. And uh, they'll go, my eyes are closed and I'll say, I need you to look straight ahead and it may be 10, 15, 20 years away. And sometimes I've even seen me saying about grandchildren's children mm-hmm. or your kids' children and what you do and what you choose to do with your life is going to have an impact on the ripple effect within your family by you being that role model. Yeah. Because it's getting people to see. It's not about not ignoring the present. The present is all we have and the present's important. Yeah. But it's always about having the timeline of the targets. And that's not about targets. That's about who you decide to be every day because you've got a bigger, a bigger why and a bigger purpose ahead of you that's of real value to you in terms of what they choose to do with their life. Yeah, yeah. That's great and creating a really big picture about how your success is going to have a knock-on effect to everybody that you care about in your life and how that's going to impact on them too moving forwards. Because if you, if you invest in yourself and just personally speaking, I'm irrelevant because I know I'll be fine. <laughs> So you become, you wake up in the morning where your biggest why is for others, not for you. You're there to serve others. Mm. And you become an example. Um, my concept in life is to wake up every day and be emotionally free. That's mm. my number one objective every day in life. Yeah. Um, but helping support others and then that ripple effect ends up incorporating into their life. When I look at all the clients that I've supported in the last 20, 25 years, mm-hmm. they're all serving others. When I watch as an observer, I see them serving as well and giving as well. And so they're serving, giving and growing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an amazing concept to be emotionally free. Before I went into the relationship guy space and focused on the relationships, although it's just got to get still the work that I do, I used to call myself an emotional freedom coach. Right, because I w- wanted to help to help people to create. I mean, you see a lot about financial freedom and all this stuff that goes around, but the feeling that you get from being emotionally free um, is palpable. So, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing space. I mean, you've been doing this, as you said, for such a long time. Um, when we initially met and spoke, it was very interesting because you told me. Um, I mean, I didn't start changing my life until I was probably in my forties. I mean, I've just turned fifty-one now. Um, it took me a long time to get my act together and recognize that I could take responsibility for my own life. You started at the age of 12. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners how you did that? Because I mean, I, I find that fascinating that someone so young was already cognitively aware and emotionally aware to be able to take responsibility for themselves. Can you, can you tell me a bit more about that? How you use fear. Two things changed my life. One was the movie Scrooge. Scrooge was about going to the end of life and actually paying attention to what is the meaning you give to life and do you have any regrets? And I remember watching the movie the first time at eight year old. But then I started paying attention to everybody within the environment that I grew up in. And then listening to education, I was being guided. And especially when I started secondary, I was starting to be focused. I knew there was this inner spark within me. Mm. There was an energy field there that I couldn't describe. But what was dampening the energy? It was like putting the Olympic flame out. 
it was like people were steering me and verbally, linguistically telling me, no, 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 no. This is what you're going to be doing with the rest of your life because this is where you'll fit in. Right. And that's what made me change direction. Simple analogy. In a classroom, different subjects, same linguistics getting positioned to me by being told what I was going to be doing against I had nine jobs between the age of 12 and 16. But then what I was starting to do was interacting with a lot of people of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a fact of, well, it was making money was good. You were making about £160 at the age of 13, 14 with your nine jobs a week. Yeah. So the entrepreneurial spirit was kicking in. Right. But at the same time, I was measuring energy and emotions. How did I feel within the education system? Mm-hmm. And how was I feeling when I was have this entrepreneurial spark and being around entrepreneurs who were role models? Right. And I remember when I was picking up the stories from the entrepreneurs and the role models, because I was asking them loads of questions. I was discovering all their strategies. Mm-hmm. What was happening was I could see that I could see further. Yeah. And then when I was in the education system, I couldn't see by next week. So it was a quick synopsis for me. Right. I'm going to pay attention to this frequency and ignore this frequency. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to become quiet and still within education. But as soon as I'm out of the education system, even if it's after hours and I'm back into earning cash and starting to learn my trade from entrepreneurs, I'm sure I'll find a better future sticking to that strategy than that strategy. And that's what I chose to do. And I had my first company by the age I was 17. And it was sold at nine, no, it was sold at 20. So, but again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, emotional freedom. Mm-hmm. I go where I go where I'm emotionally free and I go where the energy is. And it's not about, it's not about the energy. Mm-hmm. It's about the energy field. It's about, I've got two energy fields. The one that I don't want to pay attention to and the one I don't want to feel and the ones that I do want to feel and I just stick to the ones I want to feel and that's what I've done my whole life. Right. Was there an influence on that? Because, again, such a young age for you to be so aware that paying attention to the education, like you said, was very short-term, directed by other people, outcomes directed by other people, telling you what you could do, what you couldn't do, where you were going to be, where you weren't going to be. And then there was this other side of you that said, actually, no, I can see a different future for myself. And I can see how I can get to the places I want to be. And you took responsibility for taking that journey. Were, were there influences on that? Were people kind of saying to you, you know, this is, you have the capacity and the ability to create your own life? Or is this just something you you realised, you took a chance, it worked, and you continued on that pathway? Well, I've written a book, and in the book it talks about a young boy. If you think about death and when you first experience it, mm-hmm. Um, I became very confused because while I'm trying to work out, I'm being told this is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life, but then I've got this other energy field that's saying, no, you can have this, mm-hmm. but you won't, know, you won't know that path because it's the unknown. Mm-hmm. Same time, things that happened to me in my life was um, Christopher, who was a young boy two doors down from me, and he passed away when I was very young and was, uh, with leukemia. Right. And it was the first time I ever experienced death. And what I realised living in a small village was I hadn't seen him in a while and I was asked if I wanted to go and see him. 
that I went in and he had no hair, there was a tube up his nose and I'm sitting, I got a fright. Mm-hmm. And then two days later I was told he had passed. So because you're in a village, the village is in mourning. Mm-hmm. I found myself over a park on a swing a week later and I became very confused. Now remember I told you I watched the film Scrooge? Mm-hmm. I became obsessed with it. All right. what, I was, what I was becoming confused with at a very young age was, why is everybody went back to normal? And why is it it's just the mum and dad and the sister are still a wee bit sad? Right. And I'm sitting thinking, and here's the question, how long have we got? And I remember swinging in the swing, asking myself, what do I want to be remembered for? And don't get me wrong, I've always been, I've never interfered. And I've always, people have often said, why should you be asking questions at that, that age? But mm. I was. And... I just never interfered, I never ignored, I just trusted the, the things that were coming through. Mm-hmm. But it resonated, and that's why Christopher's in the book, and he's in chapter one, because it's a, it's one of the pinnacle moments in my life. Right. Of, he's saying, I don't understand life, I don't understand who I am, I don't really understand what I want, mm-hmm. I wouldn't really know what I, what, how I know when I've got what I want, but here's somebody who was a friend, and we're very, very young, and he's not here anymore. Mm. And everybody just went back to normal yeah. and carried on with their life as normal. So you're mm. sitting there as a child saying, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, while you're swinging, you're thinking of the movie Scrooge, and you're thinking of the three ghosts, and you're thinking of the ghost that takes you to the end. And guess what? In the Stevie Kid Pathway at 51-year-old, a two-year programme, People come on the Reach Your Peak event Scotland, which is the first endurance event, and guess what happens? On day three of doing the 100-hour programme, they're forced to, sometimes they're forced, shall we say, to meet a sheet off of flip charts, and it's a gravestone with their face on it, because there's nothing I'll do not to shock a human being's system to get them to think of the end and then work back and then maybe start living. Right. So that, that there's no getting away from it. The people in my life and the relationships I had was young, had a real, um, and it's in the book as well, the people that had an impact on my life, absolutely had a, a real part to play in terms of me being entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lie to you and I'm not going to come on a podcast and not tell you, death had a real contribution. Mm-hmm. And... It, it, it actually, as it says in the book, carrying on throughout my life, there's um, five of my friends have all took their own lives. Right. Okay. Uh, there's one up in that wall just now, right. and it's up there to remind me of never to miss another message ever again. Because when somebody reaches out to speak to you, mm. I've not always got it right where I've been so ambitious to grow businesses and do wonderful things within the companies that people have reached out. And I thought, I'll deal with it in the morning. Right. And even though your mind's telling you, no, no, you need to go and deal with that now, and then you come in in the morning and it's too late. When it happens five times. Mm. It really opens your eyes to the fact that you need to kind of maybe at times suspend your own life in order to be create that space for somebody else. And it's interesting, it's like you said, that it was death that made you consider life. And it took that experience of losing your friend at such a young age, but actually opened your mind up to this idea that actually you need to live. Yeah. And uh, Ian, 
Um, at 17, he was my neighbour. We went through school together. We, we worked in the first factory together. Mm. We pulled out our first salary at the cash point together. We ran up the hill together with our first pint together. Yeah. He was found dead in the, what was called the Glen at 17 years of age. And he was getting into bad habits. That for me, he was duplicating generational habits. And um, with alcohol, and then when I remember getting a chap at the door to say that he had passed, um, I just threw myself into the business. Right. And just threw all the hours into the business, so much so that I ended up in exhaustion in hospital at age 18. Oh. Uh, but that probably became my identity and it defined my life for a period of time because I was becoming confused about how long, because now I'd experienced death again. Hmm. Um, probably three or four times by that, by that age. And um, it's true, we come into life, we're born, we're born, we're born and we die. There's no point in not talking about it. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. But when you go um, prematurely then, and it's people close to you, then mm. you have an absolute impact on your life in terms of how you live your life. Yeah, I think that's 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 important. A really interesting point you make. I mean, I, my nan died when I was six, but she was my nan, you know. So yes, she wasn't old. She was only in her fifties, but she was old compared to you know because I was five or six. Um, whereas, like you're saying, you experienced loss there of people that were your age, yeah. and and again, that would cre- that created reflection within you to go, crikey, these people are my age and they're dying. And at the same fact, time I was in isolation as well because there's something in the book that happened to me when I was eight year old that allowed me to end up spending a lot of time on my own. I threw myself into my part time jobs and I wasn't doing what the normal teenagers were doing because I was too busy making money. Mm-hmm. I was spending a lot of time in my own thoughts and my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, I was paying attention to role models and entrepreneurs and fixating on the the life that I was going to decide, design, but I knew the road was going to be bumpy. I knew it was a fork in the road, and I knew there'd be many forks continue to go in that road. But that was more liberating for me than staying in the one that was straight ahead that was mapped out for me. But I knew one of the things that was going to help that bumpy road was paying attention to the fantastic human beings and relationships I would make in life that would actually make that much more rewarding, that journey. And that's probably what's brought me to this point. Okay. The people, the fuck, the, 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 see if I had, do you know the most demoralizing thing you can think about is going in that normal road and thinking about the truly outstanding, amazing human beings that I have met mm. <laughs> because I took that road. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that often every day, actually. Uh, yeah. Again, that's again, that's because kind of the show is obviously the relationship guy show. That that's fascinating, isn't it? The fact that you, because of the road you took, the relationships that you've made, the people that you've met, the influences that you've experienced have been so much more than if you'd actually gone down the road which other people had prescribed for you. And it's that thing about I think it's important to look that up. I think there's a bit in it so that people understand. I was watching a program last night called some one of my clients. I, I do listen to my clients, and they told me one one client said to me in particular, "Can you do me a favour, even if you watch one season?" And I said, "Absolutely." What is it? 
He says, I need you to go and watch Billions. And I said, all right, then. I said, I want to ask you, I'll just be intrigued. Yeah. So I think I was watching episode eight last night, but the one thing I loved about it was the billionaire's wife took the kids and she took them out to the cold water. And it was, um, she was panicking because they had no survival instincts. And I think I remember at 13 grand to say to my mum, here, it's only 10 pounds, but I need you to take it every week. Stop buying my clothes and I want you to take that every week. And I'm going to be doing it every week now until I leave home. Right. And it's that thing. And I remember watching a programme with Richard Branson and it was about his mum and his mum said that he was in the car and we were getting chauffeured home and he was becoming a pain. He was a young kid at the time. Now, if it, don't quote me in this right, but I think he was nine and she stopped to, 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 she told the car to stop and she kicked him out. Said, find your enemy home. And it was Johnny, and I'm sure it wasn't Jonathan Ross, it was one of the other ones. And he he says, and I remember vividly watching it, and he said, that's what molded me as a human being. Mm. I did find my way home. It may have been a mile and a half or two miles. Mm. But the point is I found my own way home. And it's that built-in survival instinct that I did when I was when I was very young. Um, because if you're going to take this road, just my opinion and my life experience, you need to have that survival instinct. I've lived in the street. I've lost companies. Sold com I've sold a company and lost my whole direction and who I was. But when you've been to every level of society, nothing fear. You're not, fear you're not scared of anything. If you have to go back, you'll go back and you will rebuild and start again. But fundamentally, yep. what you realize, the relationship you have with yourself and the relationships of the fantastic people that you will have around about you and you'll know who the people are because they'll appear, then they are the two matrix that allow you to rise again. Mm. No, fascinating, fascinating. That's just reminding me of when I, I, had a, I, when I was 16, I got my first motorbike. Um, I had had it a day and I came off, um, smashed the bike up, smashed myself up. Um, um, my dad was a bus driver at the time and the, the, where I came off the bike was very close to where um, the bus station was. And luckily enough, it must have been something to do with fate, but he um, just finished his shift. So I wandered down to the bus garage and I said, there was my dad. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, you know. I've just come off the motorbike. I'm in tatters, you know, tear clothes and smashed helmet and stuff. And he took me back to my bike and he said, get on it and ride it home. <laughs> and I went, no way, I've just come off of it. And he went, if you don't get on it now and ride that home, you'll never get on another motorbike again. Right. And I, you know, at the time I was crying and I was like, don't make me do this. Uh, but he was right. If I hadn't got on that bike and I hadn't ridden it home, I don't know where the fear would have taken me um if again i probably would never would have got on it again um but it just shows you that that kind of journey where you kind of face your fears where you know that you're going to be okay where you try again and you try again and you pick yourself back up and you know dust off your bruises and stuff is is a great learning experience um to go back to the scrooge story i think you know i know it's not christmas uh, but if you're listening to this anytime near christmas uh, but even if not, to, to next time you watch A Christmas Carol uh, and the story of Scrooge is just to actually maybe see if you can look at it in a slightly different way and sort of take Stevie's kind of take on that, that actually it shows that taking responsibility for yourself, but actually 
engaging in those relationships, which is the story, isn't it, really? It's engaging in those relationships in a much more positive way uh, and giving to people and ingratiating yourself with people and being part of something different as really kind of changes the outcome of your life. And, you know, your story is clear to see that you've done that. You've, you've put yourself in situations where you've met so many different people that have influenced you in such a positive way because you chose to live your life the way that you wanted to, then in the energy that you thought was best for you. And I think, again, that's an, an incredible message for the listeners to go, you can live your life the way you want to in the energy that suits you the best and make your own choices to make the most of that space. 100%. Because the question of experiencing death was when people are trying to tell you who you are and tell you who you're going to become. Mm. It empowers you to ask another question. Because the other question then you ask yourself is, right, I'm accepting what you're telling me. And I know that's an option. Mm. And it's an option I'll consider for a couple of seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will do is I'll go in the swings and I'll be quiet up in the hills, but I'm going to ask myself while I'm doing that. If that's an option, what's the other option? But who am I really? Mm. Because the whole concept of me building relationships with other people and being able to understand other people, fundamentally I had to start with me as a youngster, mm. understanding who is Stevie Kidd? And it's a question I've been asking myself now for 43 years. And I remember starting asking myself at age eight. Mm-hmm. At, the age, at the age of eight, I used to, because of something that went on, um, at the age of eight, I paid more attention to emotions than probably any other eight-year-old. Sure. And it's where time slowed down. But what you did was you started paying attention to the, the names that you gave to emotional words. Mm-hmm. But then you started paying attention to your own triggers and behaviours and your reactions. But then I started paying attention to other people's. And then I started becoming obsessed with how to interrupt people's patterns and change their state. Mm-hmm. And then it used to become a real game for me. Because in the nine jobs, one of the jobs I used to have was on ice cream vans. I used to go around with my mum and do the little pools and you go around people's doors yeah. and pick up those curtains. Yeah. But what I used to do is play a game. So I used to pre-frame myself before I'd ring the bell. And the concept was that I had six, my mum had 600 uh, clients. Oh, she would do 300 and I would do 300 and I would do four and she would do two. And she thought I was off my head because I was used to say to her, let's see how many states I can change. And she's like, what do you mean? I says, well, what I paid attention to in this village is that everybody's known a good state and I'm not living to their potential and I'm going to put my energy onto them. <laughs> Every time they would answer the door, I would just become this motivational powerhouse at the age of 30. <laughs> People used to look, look forward to um, uh, see me and that's probably the, the ability of what I have to read people. Mm. Is from eight old and what happened. I paid attention to every aspect of what's. I used to get in every classroom, and I used to draw a stick man, and I used to put crosses or wee dots next to where the emotional state was. Right. Okay. And the only one I never put anything next to, or the one I put anything next to, was a vibration feeling mm. spinning really fast. That was in PE. And for any of the other subjects, then it would be my stomach and up here in my throat, 
Mm -hmm. And what I was starting to pay attention to is feelings and emotions spin. Mm -hmm. So I was paying attention to all the emotional states I would go into, but I was actually fixating on where they became arrived in your body. And that's why it's really powerful with the work that I've done with Dr. Chapanga, because I was already, and he told me this, you've been doing this all your life, Stevie. Mm. You just realise what you were doing. I'm just going to join the dots up for you. Yeah. Uh, so when I'm paying attention to understand my own emotions and the meaning that I'm giving to things in life, I then become aware of how to master emotions. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm obsessed with meditation and stillness and, and orchestrating my senses. But the concept of supporting, it's, it's fundamental where I start with the clients. I, I pay attention at the beginning to where they're living emotionally. And, and do they understand what are, are causing them to live there emotionally? Because all about what they're visually and all they're doing neurologically within their mind. And um, so a big part of what we do is creating that emotional freedom. But I started for nearly 10 years of my own life just paying attention to me. Because I can't do anything with another human being until I work out my own. Uh, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's still, that's still, still, I'm still shaking my head at the fact that you were so young when you started to do this. Absolutely um, fascinating that you, that you did this from such an early age. You were so aware of yourself and so aware of everybody else. Um, uh, and I know people uh, that are in their 80s and they still don't do that type of thing. So um, fascinating. Thank you, Stevie, for that. Um, you did say you mentioned your book. I th believe you've got three books well three books yeah it took me 20 years and um, it's funny when you one of the things that you picked up on is you're picked on it you keep at and you're right when you're saying why why are you like that mm. why did this happen so early but yeah, yeah there's another part in the 70s and actually where i am now only 10 minutes for this where the innovation center is there was a car manufacturer and because of government change and compliance, the factory closed and eight and a half thousand people lost their jobs. Right. So remember the pool story where I'm changing people's states? Yeah. Or people come to the ice cream van and I'm changing people's states. Mm. What I paid attention to is because I love what you do. I love the word relationships. I think relationships guy um, is a fantastic term for what you do. I think it's something that's missing in terms of even from your nurtured as a youngster to understand the relationship you have with yourself. Uh -huh. And fundamentally, what I became obsessed with was <clears throat> people lost their jobs. Communities became um, into poverty. Businesses were closed. The places were becoming deprived. The towns just five minutes away from this building were becoming unemployability. Unemployment was going to an, an extraordinary level. When I started doing these jobs at the age of 12, which was 1982, I was starting to realise that the people who had even lost their jobs in the factory hadn't rebuilt their lives. Yeah. They were still unemployed. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to, they had no coping strategies. Yeah. They didn't know how to go again. Yeah. Um, so they were trapped. It was like being watching somebody trapped in their own story. So when I'm coming along, I'm using my toolkit to break the pattern. Mm -hmm. Ask them, fair enough, that was a, that was a junction in your road, but what's the junction going to be and what do you see yourself doing again? Yeah. And that's how it all began, where um, 8,500 people, and I know I met all the 8,500 people, but within four villages and towns, I was starting to pay attention to a large portion of people I was meeting 
mm. who the world had ended. So where I'd suffered death, I was now looking at people as if they had experienced death, but they hadn't, they just lost their job. Yeah. But they didn't. Now, does that mean that what I'm saying here makes sense? Because if you're conditioned for a youngster to tell you where you sit in society, what you're going to do is a job for the rest of your life for 40, 50 years. So does that mean when that's taken away from you? Is that why that's the way they are? Think about that. Right. So I'm the guy there that's supporting them to say, yeah. let me support you just by the interaction we have where I can communicate with you and ask you questions that maybe it will take you. And I actually shifted a human being when I was 14 because a month after I had been going and delivering his papers, a month later, he was motivated to come and tell me that he had made a change. But I knew that that change had happened just by some of the questions I was asking when I was on yeah. his paper. Yeah. I decided at that moment in time, <clears throat> well, I'd actually decided at the age of 12 when I was, because relationships in terms of all the jobs that I had, I'm making a lot of relationships. I'm interacting with maybe 500 people a day. But the first paper round I had, when I went to the first person's door, I think her name is Mrs. McClellan, and I went to her door and she opened the door. And then she opened the door, she just looked really unhappy. Mm-hmm. And as I went to come away from her door after giving her a Sunday mail, a Sunday post in the mirror, I think it was, as I went to go away from the door, there was a voice in my head. It says, go back to that door and ask her what's the matter. And I went back to the door and opened the door and she looked to me and she says, what's up, son? I said, no, no, I just want to know what's the matter with you. And she laughed and she says, how do you know there's something the matter with me? <laughs> your physiology, how yeah. you look at your face. Yeah. I, I know you. I say, so you're usually cheating on that. Today you're unhappy. Is there anything I can do to help you? She says, Stephen, yep. Yeah, I've just woke up and I've realised I've no bread and milk and I don't drive and it's Sunday morning and I wanted a coffee and toast. She says, and that's what's put me into this state. Mm. I say, thank my pardon. And she shut the door and smiled. I put the bag on the side of your house and I ran to the newsagents. And when I come back down with the bread and milk, the voice in my head said, pay real attention to the reaction. And as I rang the bell, she opened the door and I'm standing there with the bread and milk and she lit up like a Christmas tree. Her eyes became watered. She couldn't believe that I would do that for her. Why would you do this for me? And then when she shut the door and gave me a hug, I sat in a step. I made a pack that day. There's a lot of hurt in the world. There's a lot of people trapped with a story that's been embedded in them in terms of how I felt by doing that for another human being. Mm-hmm. I just made the decision how this makes me feel right now. I want to feel this as often as I can right to the gravestone. And this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And that's what I've done. That's a beautiful story. It still touches you quite deeply there as well. Thank you so much for sharing today, Stevie. You have a freebie for the listeners that people can get from you. We did a book called the One Percent Mindset Book, which has got twelve chapters in it, which is all about. It was the, it was written at the time of COVID when people were struggling to understand how to cope with COVID. Yeah, and I basically wrote twelve chapters in my head and said, "What would the twelve chapters? What's the twelve topics that would it goes on in my head all at the one time?" Mm. And I put them in a book. Now all in that. Book, we published it, and it's a 45,000 word book, and it's to give people tools. If people be quiet and they receive 
and answer, do the work and answer the questions, they'll find answers. Now, once the book was finished, I wasn't fulfilled and I became, for somebody that wasn't very good at English, <laughs> all of a sudden, now, I never wrote the books. What we did is we engaged with a team, even down to ghostwriters, to support me. Uh, and I would transcript it into audio and they would take, and then I would just proofread it. But once we finished that first book, I then decided I want to write more books. So I started writing down a list and I wrote 20 books. Now, the book after it was the How to Run the Third Hardest Marathon with 27 Weeks Training for Norman. And then I wrote book about how to climb and jarrow, then come off Kilimanjaro and run marathon. And with that book, the Kilimanjaro book, and um, when people sign up for the mail list, the newsletter on the website, they, as soon as they sign up for that, they will receive a free copy of the Kilimanjaro book, oh. which I think people will find very, very interesting because it's that description and me describing how I make myself uncomfortable and where you go into the unknown unknown where you come out the other side, a new you, basically. Yeah. How you how you view what your potential. And I think what you do is, for me anyway, is it's you start to realise how significant you are, because what there is to know against what you you do know, and against mm -hmm. what there is to know against what you will know going through your whole life. Mm -hmm. There's a massive, massive comparison. So it's pulling people. It's inspiring people to find their Kilimanjaro. Right, awesome. And how do people get onto your mailing list? What they just visit your website? What's the website called? Stevykid.com. Awesome. And when you go on it, there's a newsletter at the bottom on the front page. They put in their details to go on the mailing list and then receive the copy of the Kilimanjaro in an ebook. Lovely. And I'll make sure that the uh, link to that is in the show notes. Um, we could talk all day. I say this with guests on the show, but this is one of those times where we could actually talk all day. <laughs> I could listen to you for hours, for sure. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. There's been so much that people can take away, immediately think about, hopefully implement. Um, and if you want to get a copy of Stevie's book, uh, please do visit his website and get yourself on the mailing list. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being a fantastic guest. That's it, one thing. Yes, I was going to ask you before we finish today, have you got any kind of closing words of wisdom for the listeners? Yeah, I, I think it's relevant around relationships. Yesterday was four years since I lost a dear friend um, who was an entrepreneur and was a, was a, a real compass for me. Um, the first thing I'd say to, to listeners is you want to pay attention to um, people can come and people can go, and it's paying attention to the people when they're here who uh, have a real impact on your life. So even when they're gone, you struggle to even describe or speak, speak about them because it has a deep emotional impact on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, Laurie was somebody that um, even four years later, if I was to go and start talking about him, he would, um, it would happen. When they're gone, I hear more from Laurie now than I did when he was alive. Right. He's up on he's up on the wall, mm. um, and the concept of the one of the things that I realised as a child, and I mean getting into my teenage years, was when I started this unknown journey. And you talk about relationships. The reason why energy field of the people that you're drawn to 
other people that are doing what you want to do. I'm drawn to them to make relationships with the people all around the world for a simple reason is, if I do it alone, I'm only doing it to what I know and to make as many relationships, our average goal without no exaggeration in a month, we attempt to make relationships with 5,000 people a month personally. And we have a strategy in how we do it. And if people connect, we do go back. It's not a digital marketing strategy. We will go back and we will enter into a dialogue with a conversation, even if it's just given to get to know one another. And relationships is absolutely what will allow you to reach your potential and grow. If you stay in your own reality and you try to do it yourself, you're only going to reach the destination with what you know. And I would encourage this because your podcast is about relationships, which is, it starts with relationship with yourself. But once you understand yourself and you start making relationships around the world, it's with these people that you bring into your life that you will absolutely reach your ultimate potential of what you think is possible and beyond. Thank you. That's the amazing thing to leave people with. And I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Thanks again for being a guest on the show. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Uh, and I look forward to hopefully speaking to you again. I think we need a, definitely a second instalment. <laughs> Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. You look after yourself. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.